Good morning, First Church family, and welcome to worship this morning. I invite you to join us as we start our service with a prelude. Thank you, Sharon. Once again, I want to welcome you to our service of worship this morning. I have a few announcements for us as we get started here together. First, as, as, we've been, as I've been sharing with you each week, uh, our bulletin is available on our church website, firstchurchnk.org. If you'd like to log on uh, and download a copy of that, you can follow along with our service of worship, follow along with the songs to the hymns we'll be, or the, the words to the hymns we'll be singing today, as well as uh, see some more information about giving and other ways to connect and stay involved at First Church during this time. 
couple, uh, speaking of giving, uh, just a reminder that you can continue to give uh, through our church website, uh, online giving. You can also give uh, by mailing in checks or dropping off checks at the church office. Uh, our offering today goes to support the Christian Education and Sunday School Department. Uh, so if you are able to give, uh, the money that is given towards the general offering will go in that direction this morning. Uh, we also have, still have the opportunity to give to support Agape Ministries in St. Mary's through the virtual blue jug. Information about how to give towards that through our text giving is also found in the bulletin on our website. A couple things that are happening here. Uh, we will... Um, we have a new Sunday school lesson up this morning. Uh, I I've been, hope that you families have been following along. Um, I know uh, Josephine and Miles have really enjoyed watching the videos and going over the questions together. Uh, I want to encourage uh, you families with young kids to, to continue to stay involved by watching those videos together. There's a new one up this morning. And new packets actually went out this week. So uh, the packets you received in the mail... Uh, to start with, went up through the end of April. This new packet will have some more Sunday school uh, information and, and papers uh, for the weeks to come. Uh, there's also a new scripture plan that will be posted for this week. It's in the bulletin, but also be posted on our Facebook page this afternoon. And last, I just want to uh, give you youth a heads up. Uh, Pastor Tori has put together some goodie bags for you um, that she's going to be bringing around and dropping off at your houses later this week. So uh, Wednesday or Thursday, be on the lookout. She's going to just leave them on the porch. Uh, so so remember to check check your front porch and see if you get something from Pastor Tori. Uh, with that, Pastor Tori, I invite you forward for a call to worship this morning. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would, would you, all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in his lies. With their mouth they bless, but with their hearts they curse. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, but high-born men are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not t- trust in extortion or take pride in its stolen goods. Though, though your riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. One thing God has spoken and two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Now if you'll join us in singing How Great Thou Art, hymn number four, the words are in your bulletin.
This time I want to invite Pastor Tori forward uh, for children's chat this morning. Good morning, kids. Hope you guys all had a great week. Um, so last week we had a special treat and Miss Maria came in and talked about building our lives on God. So we're going to take that a step further today. Um, and talk about our foundation on God, okay? Uh, so Jesus told this parable, and it was the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And he talks about the foundation that he wants us to build our lives on in that parable. So in the parable, there's two builders, and one builder decided he was going to build his house on sand. Now, sand, I'm sure you all have sandboxes at home, um, isn't very sturdy, right? And so uh, if he built his house in the sand, it wasn't going to hold up for long. It would hold up for a little while, but eventually wind would come and different things would blow against it and the sand would start to go away, right? Just like sand does because it's not sturdy. So the foolish builder, his house looks a lot like this tower. Now, this thing isn't fitting in here very well, but if I were to just try to put this tower with this little block underneath it and get it to stay up on here, would it do it? Nope. No, it would not. Um, and that's kind of like the uh, foolish builder where he built his house in the sand. It was just one little thing, but his whole house went toppling down. Now, on the other side of that, there's the wise builder. And so the wise builder, he planned ahead, right? He took time to build his house on a firm foundation that wouldn't get blown away or crumble when wind came and hit it, right? So that story that Jesus told is supposed to get us thinking about the things that we build our life on. So like Miss Maria talked about last week, we can build our life on technology. We can build our life on sports, food, family, friends. All of those are good things, right? but they can easily be taken away from us. Sometimes you get injured in a sport and you can't play for a while, and that really stinks, right? You might change friends as you grow up. Sometimes friends do things to hurt us, and we don't want to be friends with them anymore. So, But building our lives on the firm foundation of God will always last. So God wants us to build our lives on him. But how do we, how do, we do that? What does that mean? Well, I have, we're going to build a little tower today, um, and we're going to build it on God. So the first thing to build our firm foundation on God is we have to have a relationship with him. Everyone has to start here. They have to, we have to ask Jesus into our lives to forgive us of our sins, to be our Lord and Savior, and to have a relationship with him. So we have to start there, right? And then we need God's word, too. And God's word helps us to know who God is. We can't know God if we don't read his word um, and get into the Bible because it helps us to know him, helps us to know who he is, how he works, and it also tells us a lot about ourselves, too. And then block three, the two of these here, um, is prayer. So prayer is kind of like our direct connection to God, right? It's like our telephone straight to him. And we can go to him in prayer. We can talk to him. We can tell him everything that's going on. And we know that he always listens to us. And we can trust that, right? And then finally, block four is our friends and our family. And so God gave us people, if I can get this in, There we go. God gave us friends and family in our lives to help support us, right? To point us to God. I don't know about you, but I know my parents and my friends, they're always pointing me to God. Uh, And so God gave us 
people. For when we have bad days, they, he gave us people to help pray for us, to point us to God, to do something, to put a smile on our face. And God loves to use the people that we have in our life to talk to us, right? But you know the coolest thing about this foundation is that it never stops being strengthened. So we have a lot of blocks that if I were to build something on top of this right now, it would be really strong and it would stand, right? Um, but our foundation on God never stops being strengthened because we never stop growing in him. And that's the coolest thing about this is when we t- when we read God's word, when we pray, when we have friends and family in our life that are pointing us to God, our foundation just continues to grow and grow and get stronger and stronger. And that's what God wants for us. So today I want you to think about what your foundation is built on. Are you spending time in God's word? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have friends and family that are pointing you to him? Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for uh, the chance to dive into your word, to talk about the things that you want us to build our lives on. God, I pray today that you would help remind us that our foundations need to be built on you, Lord, Um, to help us to get into your word, help us to pray, help us to uh, surround ourselves with people that point us to you constantly. We love you and we thank you for this morning. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tori. As we go to the Lord in prayer together as a church family, I invite you to remember those who we have lost recently. Lost in our service on the USS Theodore Roosevelt is Aviation Chief Charles Robert Thacker, 41, from Fort Smith, Arkansas. In addition, as I've been sharing with you each of these past few weeks, uh, it's, it's been sad to see these numbers growing. Uh, those that we've lost to this COVID-19 pandemic. Globally, as of last night, There have been 196,879 deaths, and right here in the United States, 51,949. Let's pray and ask for God's peace to be with the families of those who have lost loved ones, and God's strength and healing to be with those who are currently fighting, uh, fighting this disease. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are our foundation. We thank you that in the most difficult times of life, we know that we can lean on you, that you promise in your word to never leave nor forsake your people. And so it's those promises that we hold on to at a time like this. In the middle of a, of a pandemic, we know, Lord, that you are still God, you are sovereign, and that you are loving and compassionate. And so we ask for your presence to be with the families of those who've lost loved ones, Lord. Um, seeing these numbers rise week, day, every day after day and week after week, Lord, it's discouraging and it's, and it's hard. Um, but we trust that you are good. Even if we don't understand, Lord, why these things are happening, even if we don't have clear cut answers on, on what the next best, uh, like the, the, what the best decisions are to be made going forward. The one thing we can know for sure, the one thing that we can hold on to, is you and our relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that in your word you promise uh, that you will always be with us and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that viruses, that, uh, that tragedy and grief, Lord, are, are things that can never separate us from your love. So, Lord, we entrust ourselves, we entrust those that we care about to you. Lord, we, I pray especially today for those who are, are on the front lines, Lord, those who are putting themselves in, um, in harm's way, quite literally, Lord, to, to serve and care for uh, the rest of us. Uh, we pray, of course, thinking of, of healthcare workers and, and other staff, Lord, that are in hospitals and doctor's offices. Uh, we pray for, for protection, for strength, for energy for them. 
Um, Lord, we also pray for, for our essential workers, those that are, are helping to keep things going during this difficult time and, and helping people to keep food on their tables and, and uh, getting the things that they need. And so we thank you, Lord, for those that, that are still working, that are able to help us during this difficult time. Uh, and Lord, we do pray for wisdom for our leaders, for our, our president, for Congress, for our state leaders, um, as well as our local leaders as well. Uh, Lord, give us wisdom. Give them wisdom in, on what the next best thing is. Uh, Lord, um, we ask, Lord, that you would give us grace as well to navigate these difficult decisions together as a community, as a country, as a nation, as a world. Um, we ask for uh, you to guide us. And that I do pray, Lord, that our leaders would hunger after your righteousness, hunger and thirst after your righteousness, because your word says that, that they will be satisfied. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you once again to sing with us. Uh, The hymn is number 275, How Firm a Foundation. Uh, The words, of course, are in your bulletin. And I do encourage you to sing along with us, no matter where you are or who you're with. Uh, Let's sing about God's goodness together. Oh, uh-huh. 
Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open them up with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Again, that whether it's a, a Bible you have on hand or, or following along in a Bible app, um, either way works. I just encourage you to be, to be looking at God's word with me as I read it out loud for us. These are the words of Jesus closing out uh, his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that, that we have the privilege to hear your word this morning, to study it together. And I pray, Lord, that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, that we would hear and respond to the good news we see in this passage and others that we'll look, out, look at today. Lord, you are the one solid foundation that we can build on in this life. And it begins by knowing you and knowing your word. And so help us to do that together this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week I, I mentioned we're, we're kind of on the second part now of a, of a two-part series, or really a two-part sermon about foundations in our lives. We're calling this Christ the Cornerstone and trying to look at God's Word and, and see what it means to build our, our lives on a foundation that will last. And so last week uh, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes. We looked at uh, kind of the book as a whole and, and how the author there pursued different foundations to build his life on. And these we call these shaky foundations. Things like wealth, work, pleasure, even wisdom itself were all found to be meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, says the teacher. Right? He's, he repeats that phrase some 35 times throughout the book. And why are they meaningless? Because everything is ultimately subject to time and the reality of death. All these things... Work, wealth, pleasure, wisdom itself will ultimately fail you. Even if you do find success, even if you do find wisdom, even if you do find joy in this life, you will still suffer the same fate as everyone else. You can't take your money, your job title, your social status with you. Everything done under the sun is meaningless because it will all go to waste in this world. You see, that's the key to the whole book. That's the key to why these foundations are shaky. He said the author repeats this phrase, under the sun, 29 times, right? Meaningless, meaningless, right? Everything is meaningless. That's the logical conclusion with a God-less, God-less secular perspective. But if we're able to look beyond what is the what you see is what you get kind of perspective, we can find meaning in knowing and serving God. That's why he says that everything is meaningless under the sun when we look at it from a merely human perspective. In fact, the only way that we can truly enjoy this life, truly appreciate the things of this world, is through a God-centered perspective, not a God-less perspective. And so the author of Ecclesiastes, after encouraging his readers to remember God in the days of their youth, concludes the book with this. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. 
Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So we left off last week pointing to this foundation that we can have. If all these other things are going to fail you, what's the one foundation that will last? Well, that foundation is to know God and to serve him. Pastor Tori did an excellent job during our children's chat talking about what that foundation looks like. It begins with, with knowing God and, 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 and being in a relationship with him. And that leads us then to our passage today from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus here is, is laying out the groundwork for what it means to know God and to, to have a foundation that lasts. And this parable here is, is the conclusion to his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which consists of all of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. When I was serving as associate pastor at uh, my previous church, I had the opportunity to do a, a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I entitled it Kingdom Manifesto. And the reason I did so was because this Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's all about Jesus teaching his disciples what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. These passages are not merely wishful thinking, but radical commitment to Christ as Lord, truly serving him as Savior and Lord. Look at, uh, just take a quick look at Matthew chapters 5 through 7 with me. You know, flip through your Bible and you see the headings. It, it, we have the Beatitudes listed here. Uh, Jesus talking about what it means that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Speaking on things like murder, adultery, divorce, swearing oaths, taking revenge. He talks about the importance of loving your enemy. He talks about giving, about prayer, about fasting, about not worrying about the things of this world, but, but rather storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? Not judging others, as it is so easy to do, uh, and, and learning to distinguish between truth and its imitation. And so all of these topics, all of these passages then lead up to this final parable in Matthew 7. Jesus puts two categories of people forward for us, the wise and the fool. And so those who hear his teaching and and put it into practice are like the wise person who built his house on the rock, built it on a solid foundation. Those who don't put his word into practice are like those who build their house on the sand. And before we dig into what what Jesus is really getting at here, it's important to notice what Jesus is forcing his audience to do. He's forcing them to make a choice, right? He's forcing the crowd to make a decision whether they're going, how they're going to respond to his teaching. And he's not leaving much wiggle room here. You're either one or the other. You're either the wise or the fool. You either build your house on the rock or you build it on the sand. And it's that same choice that he's presenting to us today. Right, the setting has changed, right? The, the, but 2,000 years or so have passed, but, but the truth is still there. We have a decision to make. Are we going, how are we going to respond to the truth of God's Word? We've been confronted with the reality that, that all these other foundations we can build our lives on are ultimately going to fail us. And there's one thing that we can trust in that will never fail us. And so are we going to build on it or not? Right? That's the, that's the decision that we have to make as Christ followers, as, as 
those who maybe aren't sure about the gospel. Maybe you're listening in on the radio or watching on Facebook and you've never really made that decision to trust Jesus for yourself, right? We all have a decision to make. Are we going to trust him, take him at his word, or are we going to hear it and, and respond by continuing to build our lives on things that aren't going to last? This is such a, a great analogy here. Much of Jesus' teaching and his ministry was done on and around the Sea of Galilee. And, and on the sea there, on the shore, there was a, uh, an area of a of sandy bank. And what would happen, uh, for those that lived in the area would have been familiar with this, but the, the sea levels would, would rise or lower depending on the season, depending on, on the, the rain and everything. And when the waters rose and then receded, it would leave a, a sandy deposit on the shore of the sea. And in the hot summer months, when the water level was at its lowest, this sand on the beach would become hard and, and, um, and compact and very dense on the surface. And so for the, for the casual observer, it would seem like a pretty solid foundation to build on. If you were to, to walk down, you could walk around and it seemed solid enough, but not far below the surface was uh, was the reality. The sand was shifting. When the, and when the waters would rise in the rainy season, the water would overflow the banks and the sand would wash away. What seemed like a solid foundation to build on was only surface deep. The Gospel of Luke captures this perfectly. And in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, when Luke retells this parable, he includes a phrase. He says that the wise one uh, is, is the one who digs down deep and build, builds his foundation on the rock. He's alluding to this fact that there's, that there's sand on the surface, but if you dig down deep, you can find something solid to build on. And archaeological discoveries in the mid-20th centuries have shown foundations of a house that was laid on the bedrock some 10 feet below the surface of the sand. So the question is, are we going to build on something that's going to last, or are we going to build on something that is only temporary? That's the difference. That's what Jesus is getting at here with this parable. And notice there's, there's similarities here between the wise builder and the foolish builder. Um, first of all, we see that the wise and the fool both hear the teaching of Jesus. Right? As Jesus tells this parable, he says the wise person is like the man who... Um, excuse me, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And the fool is the one who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. But notice that both the wise and the fool hear the word of God. They both have been, have been pointed to the truth of Christ. So it's not that one has been, has been given some sort of knowledge or some sort of um, extra information and the other hasn't. The reality is that they've both been pointed to the gospel, to the truth of Christ. What matters then is their response. What are we going to do with the truth revealed to us? In James chapter 1, we are... There we go. If I find the right bookmark in my Bible here. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, he encourages the readers there to not merely hear the word, but to do it as well. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face on, in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks 
intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Right? Think of that analogy. I love this, this picture that James is putting forth there. It's someone who, who looks in a mirror and observes what's going on, right? How many of us have, have woken up in the morning and you, and you kind of stumble into the bathroom, right? And you look in the mirror and you realize that you are a mess. I know I've done that before. Hair's everywhere. Face is a mess. Um, it would be pretty foolish of me to, to do that, to get up in the morning, to look in the mirror, see that everything is, is crazy, and then just turn around and, and go about my business and not do anything about it, right? It only makes sense to, to see, to observe what needs to be changed in the mirror and then to do something about it, to comb my hair, to brush my teeth, to wash my face. To do anything else would be foolish, God's Word is the same way. It reveals what needs to be changed in our lives. It reveals our, our shortcomings, our faults, what the Bible describes as sin, those things that are out of line with God's will and character. And as those things are revealed in us, we need to do something about it, right? We need to, we need to respond by, by allowing God to work in us to change those things. Right? Many people hear the Word of God and immediately dismiss it. They say it's outdated, it's not relevant, or we, we simply don't agree with it, and so we don't give it the time of day. Even some of us that, that call ourselves Christians, right? We, we allow God's Word to go in one ear and out the other. Today we have more access to God's Word, to Bible study tools, to, to Christian teaching than ever before, and yet we still don't make the time for it that we should. We hear God's Word, but we don't always do it. So both the wise and the fool hear God's word. The other similarity here is that both the wise and the fool go through the same storm. Jesus, I think, chose his words very carefully here back in Matthew chapter 7. He used the identical phrase. He could have copied and pasted right this, this description of the storm that they faced. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Right, Both the wise and the fool faced the same circumstances. The gospel of Jesus is not trust Jesus and he will make everything easy for you. Trust Jesus and he'll make all of your problems go away. Trust Jesus and you'll never suffer again. No, that's, that's not the gospel that we believe. The gospel is this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Right? That's not a call to an easy life. That's a call to suffering and hardship for the sake of Christ. Trusting Christ doesn't necessarily change your circumstances. It doesn't necessarily change the experiences of life that you are forced to go through. But what it does is it gives you something to hold on to in the middle of that storm. It gives you a foundation so that you can weather it. See, the difference between the wise and the fool then is the foundation that they build their lives on. When the storms of life hit, the wise person knows that they don't face those storms alone. They face life with Christ by their side. I've been reminded a lot recently of the words of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I am with you. For, me, for you are with me. Wrong perspective. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? That's the promise. That's the hope that we have that even though we go through our deepest, darkest moments, our hope is that God is with us by, by our side. 
And it's his presence. It's, 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 it's the, the rod and the staff, the tools of a good shepherd to guide and strengthen us during those difficult times. Peace is a very interesting thing, isn't it? We think of peace as, as the absence of conflict, right? Remove all my problems, remove all my temptations, remove all my fears, and then I will truly experience peace. Right, there was a, a, a phrase in the ancient world, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, right? the peace that, that uh, the Roman Empire established. Well, the way that they established that peace was removing any obstacles that were in their way. You dared to go against Rome and they, they, they squashed your rebellion right then and there. They removed anyone who dared question their rule. Right, that's a worldly view of peace. Remove all my obstacles, remove all my problems, and then I will be able to experience peace. But biblical peace is something far different. It's described in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase there, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, is so important. Right? We can understand peace when there's nothing to fear. We can understand peace when all of our problems are removed from us. Right? That's a worldly understanding of peace and one that makes sense to us. But a peace that passes understanding is a peace that we can have and we can experience in the middle of the storm. When the, when the winds beat against the side of the house, when the waters rise, right, when the storms of life come in, we can still experience peace in spite of those things because of our foundation, because of a relationship with the Lord. That's a peace that passes understanding, a peace that can only come from God. And so the wise and the fool are similar in, in some ways. They both hear the teaching of Christ they both experience the same circumstances. So what's the main difference? Well, we've already alluded to it, obviously. The difference is their foundation. The wise person hears the teaching of Christ and then puts it into practice. Let's think again about James' gospel. Or, excuse me, James' letter. James, I want to look at chapter 2 now, verses 14 through 19. This is... James speaking here about the relationship between faith and works. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, a daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. See, James here notices the connection between faith and works. It's not enough to just hear God's word. It's not even enough to just believe that it may be true. But it's actually, it's, what we need to do is respond to it through faith with action. Right? The wise hear the teaching of Jesus and they then put it into practice. They demonstrate their faith. They demonstrate their belief by responding positively to the gospel and the truth of God's word. The foundation then, that rock that, is, that we build on, is Christ. 
Maria last week in her children's chat read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, and I want to repeat it for us here today. The for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone that we build our lives upon. The Old Testament pointed to this reality. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, the prophet says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation, the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Right, this cornerstone that we can build our lives upon is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus Himself. And again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20 says, Consequently, this is Paul speaking to the church. He says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Right, the cornerstone is important. When you're thinking about when you're laying a foundation or you want to build something that will last, you need to make sure that the cornerstone is in the right spot. It's the most important piece of the foundation. It's the piece that, that everything else is measured against and built upon. If the cornerstone is out of whack, if it's in the wrong spot or angled at the wrong angle, everything else will be faulty. But if the cornerstone is right, if the cornerstone is sure, then you have a truly solid foundation. Christ himself is our cornerstone. And he's the one that, that, that builds us up. He's the one that establishes us. In Ephesians 3.17, Paul prays for the church and he talks about them having been rooted and established in love. And it's that established is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7, talking about foundation. But notice in Ephesians 3, he uses the, past, uh, the passive tense, right? It's not that we lay a foundation to build upon, but it's we are being established. Our foundation has been laid for us in Christ, and we are being built up upon it. See, salvation itself is a gift from God. Faith itself is a gift from God. There's false foundations that we can build on. We talked about many of them last week, like trusting in the things of this world, but there's also another false foundation that, that many of us succumb to, and, and, and it seems good, and it's trusting in our own religious success, our own good deeds. We think that our own good deeds are going to get us in heaven, that if we live just a good enough life, then God will have to love us and have to accept us. But that will ultimately fail us as well, because even our good deeds will fall short. Even our good deeds are filthy rags compared to knowing Christ. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, the prophet says, all of us, all of us, right? That includes everyone. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all, our unright, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Right? That's the, that's the problem we have. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Even though, even if we try to build a foundation upon our, our good deeds and our good works, they too will fall short. The only thing that we can build upon is Christ Himself, His death, His resurrection, His blood shed for us. That is the foundation that will last. So the question for us then is how do we how do we build on that foundation? If Christ is the foundation, if, if He has established that for us, 
What does it mean for us to then build on it like this wise person in the parable? Well, there's three things I want to encourage you with today. That's to know him, to know his word, to trust his word, and then finally to do his word. It's important for us to know God and to know his word in order to build our lives upon him. We can't, we can't build on something we don't know. We can't be in a relationship with, with a person we've never met, right? We need to know God's word. We need to know him in order to establish ourselves or in order to be established on that rock. Psalm 119 verses uh, 9 through 11 says, How can a young person on the, stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, there's the key there, right? I've hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. God's word reveals what it means to know God and to follow him. And and so if we want to build our lives on on a foundation that will last, we need to know his word. We need to know who God is because God's word reveals to us what we need to do in order to uh, respond faithfully to God's promises. Scripture, 2 Timothy Timothy 3, 16 says that Scripture makes us wise for salvation. Writing to Timothy, Paul says, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? It's God's Word. It's, it's, it's Holy Scripture which helps us to understand God, makes us wise for salvation, gives us the opportunity to respond by faith to the good promises of the Gospel. But we can't do that if we don't know Scripture. That's why it's so important for us to be in His Word, to, to read it for ourselves, to, to make it a central part of what we do here as a church every week. Uh, God's Word needs to have a central place in our lives. So we need to know God's Word, but we, all, we need to take it further than that. It's not enough to just know it intellectually, to, to have a knowledge of God's Word. We need to also trust God's Word. We need to believe that it's true and let it become a part of your life. There's this interesting scene in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, God speaking to Ezekiel saying, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. Then Ezekiel says, So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. There's two times in the Bible, this is one and the other is in the book of Revelation, where where, where this this analogy is used to describe uh, consuming God's word. Ezekiel is instructed to eat the scroll, eat the, the word of God. And the reason I believe that, the reason I think that this analogy is used is because, because when we, when we ingest God's Word, when we ingest food, I should say, it becomes a part of us, right? Our body's able to absorb the nutrients that we need to sustain life. So just as food is important for physical sustenance, we need God's Word for spiritual sustenance. We need to consume it. We need to, to allow it to become a part of us and transform us from the inside out. See, hardship and suffering often reveals what we truly believe and trust. 
Think of the life of Jesus. Right? As he was tempted in the wilderness, as Satan tried to, tried to distract him from God's purpose and calling in, his, in this life, how did Jesus respond? He responded with Scripture. It revealed that Jesus' deep trust in the Word of God itself. And as Jesus hung on the cross, as He was crucified for our sins, what did He do there? Well, He quoted Scripture as well. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Right? As, as Psalm 22.1. Even in that moment, even as Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins, it was Scripture that informed His thinking. It was Scripture that, that gave Him the strength He needed to do what He needed to do. Jesus keeping Scripture at the, at the, at the focal, at the, at, the, at the center of His thinking, of his, the center of His life. Right? If Jesus needed to rely on Scripture in those moments, how much more so do we need to rely on Scripture as well? When you face hard times, what do you lean on? When you face hardship, what, what comes out of you? Right? What, what is your immediate response? that often reveals what you truly trust and believe. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that when we face hard times, it's, it's God's Word that comes out of us, right? It's, it's trust in God and His promises that come to the surface. And so we need to know God's Word. We need to trust God's Word. As we've already talked about here today, we need to do God's Word. Romans chapter 6 Verses 16 through 18, Paul talks about how the importance of, of, of serving God. In this passage, he talks about, here, let me just read it for you. It says in verse 16 through 18, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Right? We talk about how the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross sets us free from sin. But it's not freedom to just do whatever we want to do. It's not freedom to just live life as we choose to live. It's freedom to turn to Christ and to obey Him. Right? We're all, to, to, to oversimplify it maybe, we're all slaves to something, right? We're all made to worship something. The question is, we, the, the choice we have before us is, are we going to be slaves to sin? Are we going to be slaves to those things that will, those shaky foundations that will ultimately fail us? Are we going to be slaves to our own, our own wisdom and our own way of thinking? Or are we going to choose to be obedient to God? To be holy like God is holy, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. That's the, that's the key for us today. That's what it means to, to build on the foundation of Christ. It's to know, to trust, and to respond by, by being obedient to His Word. Right, God's word can be God's all the law, all the commandments, all the prophets can be summed up this way. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that? How do we love God and love neighbor? In Second John verse six it says, "This is love that we walk in obedience to His commands." As you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk 
in love. Another way to look at this passage, we, we've talked about Matthew seven twenty four through 27 as, a, as an analogy for the, the storms of this life, the hardship, the trouble that we experience in, this, in a broken world. But there's another way to look at this as well. I don't think one is necessarily, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, but they both are valid here. So, so we look at the storms of this life, but, but Scripture also describes God's judgment at times as a storm. So the question that all of us need to face, not just when we are in the middle of a global pandemic, not just when we lose our job or our health begins to fail us. Uh, the, the, the question is, there's an even deeper question than that. And that is that one day, no matter what we experience in this life, we will all stand before the Lord. We'll all one day be before Christ facing his judgment. And the question then is, where is our foundation? What have we built our lives upon? We try to overcomplicate it sometimes. We try to make it much more difficult than it really needs to be. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 of, a, of a, a foreign general named Naaman who contracted leprosy. He was told there was a prophet in Israel who could heal him. And so he travels there and he brings a, a lot of money and a, a lot of possessions with him because he, he goes and he wants to, he thinks that he's going to have to give up a lot in order to be healed. But Elisha tells him, all you need to do is just go, go bathe in the Jordan. Go submerge yourself in the water seven times and you'll be healed. And what does Naaman do? He rejects it. He thinks that it's too easy. It's too simple. It can't be that easy. And so he turns around and heads home. It wasn't until one of his servant girls pointed out and says, look, if the prophet told you to do something great and something elaborate and something complicated, you would have done it, right? But all he did was tell you to go bathe in the water, bathe in the Jordan. And it was that prompting of that servant girl that, that caused Naaman to turn around. And when he did so, when he dipped himself in the water, he was healed. He was cleansed. See, Naaman tried to make it more difficult than it needed to be. God makes it simple for us. We, can't, we don't have to earn our place in his family because we can't even if we tried. No amount of, of money, no amount of good works could possibly earn our place in his kingdom. All we need to do is trust and obey. Trust in the goodness of, of God. Trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And put your hope in Him. All right, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, after Peter is the first disciple to, to see Jesus for who he really was, the, son of, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus tells him, I tell you that you are Peter, that you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus isn't talking about Peter himself, but he's talking about the confession of faith that Peter just gave, the trust in Christ, recognition of who he truly is, and it's on that rock, that foundation of a relationship with God, that we will be able to weather the storms of this life. But also when we stand before God, we'll have confidence on the day of judgment because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the solid rock, that you are the only solid foundation that we need and we can have in this life. Help us, Lord, to put our trust in you for this life and for the next. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's sing number 404, The Solid Rock. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You may go in peace. Amen.